0: Your son said that an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we continue to worship you by opening up your truth, I pray that your spirit would do all that we just sang. We are hanging on every word. And to that end, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of this mouth would be supernaturally anointed by you for your glory. And that if anything were to come out of this mouth that were not of you, Lord, that you would supernaturally change it before it got to the ear of the hearer. And I pray that you would supernaturally tune the ear of the hearer to the sound of your voice. And most importantly, that you would supernaturally Change our hearts by the power of your Spirit. Speak. Your servants are listening. In the power of your Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good morning. Please have a seat. Towards the end of the long book of Acts, Paul gets this commission. It says, I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from the darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. We are in week two of this little four-week mini-series through... Um, the book of Acts, and Acts was written by Luke. He's the same Luke who wrote his gospel. And we saw last week how at the beginning of this book he says, I told you in my first account, my gospel, all of the things that Jesus began to do. And that Jesus did he's implied in that is that Jesus didn't stop at the resurrection. And we're going to see today how the mission continues by Jesus coming into us in the form of the Holy Spirit. This is just a continuation of the gospel, it's not another gospel, it's not the gospel's over and now, this is what the gospel looks like. Why is it called the book of Acts though? Some of you in your Bibles, if you open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, which you need to because we're going to be in it a lot today, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, someone will put one in it, I am sure because um, you'll want to have it so you can follow along. We've got a lot, a lot to cover today. But why is it called the Book of Acts? Well, some of your headings at the beginning of this, of this book will say the Acts of the Apostles. I've actually got my, that, that title crossed out in my Bible. Um, that's not sacrilegious because that's not Holy, Holy Spirit-breathed. The little pericopes and the titles and things, those were put in by publishers, not by the Holy Spirit speaking to Luke. And so really, this is not the acts of the apostles. This is the acts of the Holy Spirit. What this whole book is about is about what the Holy Spirit did through the lives of the people who had come to Christ and what He is doing in our lives today. Now, sometimes what we're going to see today is the launch and the birth of the church, but sometimes we can kind of over-romanticize the early church, like the, the church in Acts, and go, man, this is the way church, we should just get back to doing church the way they did church. And, and I'll talk more about that at the end of our passage today. But guys, they, they were just messed up people saved by grace, just like we're messed up people saved by grace. It's, but By Acts chapter 9, Peter is actually saying again, by no means, Lord even though he's filled with the Spirit. By Acts 15, after Paul has become converted from Saul to Paul and he's traveled traveled through Galatia and parts of Turkey and he's planted some churches, he goes back to Jerusalem and and has to confront Peter to his face because because Peter is no longer preaching a gospel of grace. The early church was just as messed up as we are. And they needed the Holy Spirit just as much as we do. I'm blessed to be part of such a wonderfully gracious people like you. God sent his son, his son sends his spirit, his spirit sends us, that's the message of the book of Acts. God sent his son, his son sent his spirit, his spirit sends us, we're to go. So today's message is called, Go in the Power of the Spirit. Go in the power of the Spirit. And we are going to look at Acts chapter 2, which, oh joy, is probably the most controversial chapter in all of the Bible. Acts chapter 2 has done more to mess up the church in 2,000 years than any other single chapter in the Word of God. So are you ready? Because we're going to get after it today. Today's question is, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? What happens when the Holy Spirit comes? we're going to jump right into acts 2 starting in verse 1 and see that pot power falls so in acts 2 verse 1 it says when the day of pentecost had come they were together in one place pentecost is just it means 50 days later basically but pentecost was a feast That the Hebrew people were celebrating. If you remember way back, if you were here for our our journey in John, and we we had the Seder meal, that was the Last Supper, that was the Passover, that was one of the feasts that the Hebrews celebrated, the Jewish people celebrated, was the the Passover meal that was for us, was on Thursday night, or we did it here on a Sunday, but it would have been Thursday night. Friday is the the day that Jesus is crucified and buried. On Sunday, when he rises again, that was the Jewish feast of what? Anybody know? first fruits. Go figure. That's why the Bible talks about how Jesus is, is a, it was, um, was resurrected as a first fruit. So the Jewish people were celebrating first fruits on the day that Jesus was resurrected. Now 50 days later, they would celebrate what was called the Feast of Weeks. And it was a feast of the first of the harvest. And so you, just by chance, the Holy Spirit comes and starts the harvest of the church On the day of Pentecost, 50 days later. What's interesting from our timetable is if you remember Acts chapter 1 where Jesus appears to them the last time and then they watch him go off into heaven where we saw last week, that was somewhere between the resurrection and 40 days. So 10 days has passed from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 2. It's interesting, interesting to know exactly how they filled those 10 days. I think they spent a lot of time waiting and praying for the Spirit to come. What we're about to see, what we're about to witness right now in this next verse, is the arrival and impartation of the gifting of the Holy Spirit. It is what turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. It is the fulfillment that Jesus promised. Again, if you were here in Acts 14 and Acts 16, he said, remember he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit can't come. But if I go, I will send the Spirit. Here it is, right here, Acts chapter 2, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It's, it's not saying that there was an actual wind. It was like the wind. It's, it's the sound of the wind. It's also just a, a play on words in that this, the word for wind and the word for spirit is pneuma or a version of, of the Greek word pneuma and they're used interchangeably often. I, I, it took me back to the scene in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 19, where where Moses is meeting with God and it says the spirit of God spend, descended on Mount Sinai, in the sound of thunder. So there's this, there's this mighty sound that draws people's attention. And then it says, and there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Again, I can't help but think about how were the, how were the Ten Commandment tablets written in Exodus chapter 31? What's it say? They were written by the finger of God. Right. I just can't help but picture it's like this fire. If you if you if you saw the Charlton Heston version of the Ten Commandments, which has to be biblically accurate, right? Because it had Charlton Heston in it, that there's this they actually show like this fire coming down and carving out the, the Ten Commandments. I picture that very thing. And you say, Well, that's a that's a stretch. Okay, except that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes this: You are a letter of Christ, carried for, cared for by us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is what happens when we share the gospel. People's hearts are changed because God writes a new identity on their heart. That's what we see happening here. Guys, they were looking forward during this ten days, I believe, that between his ascension and this period, they were praying for more of him. They were praying for more of the power of the Spirit. They were praying that that the fulfillment of this coming promise would happen. And guys, we need to be praying that. We need to be praying that God would give us more of himself. We need to be praying more for the giver than the gifts he gives. Look at verse 4. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had given them utterances. There's one of those areas that, that goes sideways, and I'm not going to address it much other than to say that the word tongues there simply is translated languages or dialect. And we're going to see in the rest of this passage that this is not some private prayer language going on here. This is actual known languages in the world. I think it's, it's, in a sense, undoing what happened at the Tower of Babel. Remember one of the first stories I so see you have, you have Genesis, and it, it, the beginning of Genesis, and they're in the Garden of Eden, and there's the fall, and, and then shortly thereafter, you have the next big story that everybody learns about in their little Sunday school classes, and that's Noah's Ark. Do you remember what the next story is between Noah's Ark and Abraham? The Tower of Babel, where God confuses their languages and gives them all a different language. Here God is bringing all that back together and saying, You know what? The time is right. When the fullness of time came, we're going to fix this problem by letting them hear the gospel supernaturally. This is why the gospel went to all corners. This is why when Paul started traveling, there were so many people ready to receive the gospel. We'll see why right now. Take a look at verse 5. Now there were Jews living in in, in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. From all over the world, these people had become Jewish and had come to Jerusalem. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Were all of these who were speaking not Galileans? That's basically an insult because the Galileans were considered uneducated. And how is it that we each hear them in our own language which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome before both Jews and proselytes. If you put on a map where these places were, it's the four corners of the globe of, of the known world at that, at that time. It says, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. There's the other part about the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is a known language, it may not be known by everybody in the room, that's why you have to have an interpretation, and it is only ever doing one thing, pointing to the glory of God. And they all continued in amazement and in great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are all full of sweet wine. Guys, I, I look at this scene, and, 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 and there's more to the gift of tongues than I have, that I'm going to take the time to talk about right now. But I look at this scene and I look and I go, what part of Luke 12, 12 do we not get? When Jesus said, in that very hour, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Even in a language you don't know how to speak, apparently, he can give you those words. Right? It, this is what happens when God shows up, though. You see, this two, you see, some people are amazed. God shows up in a mighty way. Some people are amazed. Others mock. And if you've been a witness for Jesus for very long, and in very many places, you know that you received one of those two ways. That nothing has changed. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? The first thing that happens is power falls. The second thing that happens is we proclaim we proclaim, Peter is going to preach the first of three great sermons in chapters 2, 3, and 4, and I'm excited to teach through those over the next two weeks, so I'm not going to spend it, I'm going to skip some of what he talks about here because he repeats himself quite a bit in these three sermons, but I want to at least touch on them because there's so much powerful truth here, but we'll pick up some of the things I'm missing um, in the weeks that are to come. Also, if you did your daily reading today, like, a, like you're supposed to, like a good Cornerstone church member, you did your daily reading. What was your daily reading? It was Acts 2, 1 through 47, the whole thing. So you would have already read the whole thing anyway. It says, but Peter, taking his stand with the 11. I love that picture. But here's what, here's what I love about that picture. Finally, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I know that when I get to heaven someday, when, whether it's at the rapture or um, when I go home to be with the Lord, Peter is going to punch me in the face because I haven't really presented him very positively, right? He's always sort of the foot, you know, put foot in mouth sort of guy, right? So he'll punch me in the face, and he'll pick me and go up and go, hey, Jesus loves you. But I look and I say, this is what's so cool about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to use Peter's personality... Because it doesn't surprise any of us. If you were here for the John series, or when we talked through Mark a few years ago, it should should surprise no one that Peter is the one who takes his stand. But now he's actually going to make some sense. And it's because the Holy Spirit is in him. He raises his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. Like somehow, if it was later in the day, it would be okay for them to be drunk. But that's not the point. Verse 16. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So he, and now what he's going to do over the next few verses is he's going to share the prophecy of Joel of how the Holy Spirit is going to come. Joel was written hundreds of years before Christ came. Jump to verse 21. He's still quoting Joel when he says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was written in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Christ came and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that look like, to call on the name of the Lord? We'll we'll get there in a minute, because they're going to ask that question. Here's what I'd ask you to do right now. If today, right now, or while we were singing, or while you were talking or praying with somebody earlier, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, and just in case they were going to confuse him with the other Jesuses, because Jesus was just Joshua, Yeshua, lots of people walking around with the name Jesus. So he's pointing out Jesus the Nazarene. He's like, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Right there, if you want to know, we, we serve a sovereign God. The crucifixion was, was not a mistake, it was not an accident. It was planned before the foundation of the world. And then he says, and then Peter looks at him, he says, You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Guys, this is proof of Peter's changed life. He is fronting up the very men that he was denying Christ to before the resurrection, ascension, and now the infilling power of the Spirit. Same, same audience that he was in. I don't know the man, I don't know the, And now he's like, you killed him. You guys did it. If you want evidence that the gospel changes a life, you don't need to look any further than Peter. What's the difference in Peter's life? The difference is who is present physically in him. Part of the triune Godhead is now living in Peter and it makes all the difference. Look at verse 32. We're going to skip down to verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up again to which you are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. What has been poured forth? Well, What do we just see in the first few verses? The Holy Spirit. He is saying this thing this noise you heard this the flame you saw the difference you're seeing in me right now is because the holy spirit has been poured forth. Okay we cannot. This is one of my big fears. As we as we go through Acts and, we, and we're talking about the mission and, and and the guys, seven different men are going to be teaching through Philippians, which is a great, just additional. Like, because here here is the start of the church in Acts. We had the Gospels, walking with Jesus, the start of the church in Acts, and now they're going to be teaching through Philippians, which is here's what the church ought to really be about. Right? It's it's such a great. I, I look forward to catching up on all seven of those messages after I get back in July, Lord willing. But. We can't leave the Jesus of the gospel of John back here and go, now I'm going to go do the mission or live out this Christian life. He is with us in the mission. Now get this. Look at verse 36. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. If he was holding a mic, he just dropped it and walked away. Right there is the mic drop. I'm out. Thank you very much, guys. Again, because we've we've seen Peter for a while now, there is nothing that we know about Peter that would make us believe that anything he just said and all the he is quoting Joel four or five different Psalms and Second Samuel. There is nothing in our past experience with Peter that would lead us to believe that on his own he came up with that. There's no way. How did he do that? Because the spirit of the living God in that very hour gave him the words to say. He threw him a little Joel. He threw him a little Psalm. He threw him a little Second Samuel and said, no, get after it, Peter. And he'll do the same thing for us, guys. He empowers us in the mission. Okay, but the question is, do we live like that? Do we live in that moment when someone, when you're talking to the clerk at the grocery store, are you asking, as you're talking with one half of your brain, are you asking with the other half of your brain, Lord, give me the words to speak. Holy Spirit, give me the boldness to say the name of Jesus Christ right now. That's what Peter's doing in this moment. Guys, don't walk out of here today or, to, or next week or whenever saying, you know what, uh, what I, need to, I need to start getting busy for Jesus. What can I do for Jesus? The question becomes, as spirit-filled, his spirit in us becomes, what can we do with Jesus? With him in us? He's, he's not just the God that goes before us and the God that guards our rear flank and that's why we don't live in fear. He's the God that, that lives in us and walks with us. Peter gives this amazing message and he's going to give us another one next week and the week after about the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ and the world gets turned upside down by that message. Literally, the world gets turned upside down. Look at your Be in Community. It's on the back of your connecting points, your notes page. It says Romans 10.17 says this, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That actually means the word concerning Christ or the gospel. Acts 1.8 told us that when the Spirit's power comes upon us, we will be witnesses for Christ. So can you tell His salvation story of creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration? Can you share your own personal salvation story in a short two-minute testimony about who you were, how you came to faith in Christ, and who He is to you today? Can you do that in two minutes or less? Can you walk people through... The, the story in the Gospel of John, we looked at, these are, there's still some of these on the connect table in the back that walks through, sort of, here's how you could walk with somebody through the Gospel of John and just lead them, by the power of the Spirit, to Christ. Can you tell what the Lord has done in you, for you, with you, and through you? Find ways to be around others and pray that the Lord would give you the opportunity to be witnesses for his glory. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? First, power falls. Second, we proclaim. And third, by the power of the Spirit, people repent. By the power of the Spirit, people repent. Look at the next five verses. It says, Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart. I love that picture, guys. And I love, I, I hope it's on here. I didn't actually open this up, Daniel, wherever you are. But so this is the Kids Connect, or I don't know what we're calling this thing now, but it's the thing, hopefully you young people, you got one of these when you came in. But I love the picture that Daniel, Daniel draws these. I love the picture because I noticed when I saw, like, they're holding their hearts, like pierced to the heart. One, I pointed it out because it's such a great picture like, of what, what Daniel caught on to in this passage. But two, this is a great resource for parents. Don't let this just get lost in your kid's Bible. Like, use this as a way to, to disciple your children. And we're going to come back around to that towards the end of the message as well, Lord willing. It says, and Peter said to the rest of the apostles, and said to, and the, and, I'm sorry, pierced the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? So they've heard this gospel message, and they're, resp- they're like, Oh no, what do we do? Because their hearts have been, Pierced by the Holy Spirit. Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That, there's another place that, that this is one of the most controversial chapters in, in the Bible because it taught what's the role of baptism versus the baptism of the Spirit. And I'm not going to take the time today to talk through all of that. We've walked through some of that in the past, and we've taught through 2nd and 1st Corinthians, other places. But guys, one thing that you can see is, is in that where he says, be, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That is often translated on account of the forgiveness of your sins. So this could be read, because your sins have been forgiven, as evidenced by the, the pricking of your heart, that now the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Christ, get baptized because your sins are being forgiven. Not so that your sins will be forgiven. We know there's nothing in the horse trough except that that the horse trough is what we baptize people in if you're new here, right? Except that the obedience to that act, and we'll get there in a second, is public proclamation of what just happened in your heart. For the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, he's saying this promise is for the world, not just for Jewish people. As many as the Lord our God will call to Himself, and with many other words. So he keeps talking. Just Luke doesn't record it. With many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, "Be saved from this perverse generation." Now get this. So then. Those who had received his word, that word received there doesn't just mean heard the word. You're sitting here right now, you're hearing the word. If you're receiving the word, that word received actually means to hear it, believe it, and respond to it. That's what that word received means in the Greek. It means to believe something is true and act accordingly. So if you're receiving his word this morning, whether it's because you're for the first time coming to life in Christ, or you're sitting here today going, man, this, I, this is, the Holy Spirit is really speaking something to me in this passage. That is because you're hearing it, you are receiving it, you're believing it, and you're responding to it. That's all caught up in that one word. And then he says, and there were baptized on that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, it's not 3,000... Bodies, Not 3,000, you know, someday going to die and oh oh well. 3,000 eternal souls. He preaches the gospel and 3,000 eternities change. Because that is a supernatural act. I can't change one body, one soul for eternity. His word and his spirit will change people's lives. Repent and be baptized are both commands in this passage, but here's what's interesting about this word, baptized. I talked about this last week, where there's two different, there are many forms of the word baptizo in the Greek, and one of them talks about actually having a religious, like a spiritual experience, and the other one is being immersed in water. The one he uses here is for being immersed in water. And there were baptized, there were dunked in water, 3,000 souls. Now you go, how in the world is that even possible? It took us 15 minutes to baptize a couple of people on Resurrection Sunday. Well, here's what's interesting. When I was in Israel, when, um, in the courtyards of the Temple Mount, there's a place where we were in Israel in May and I had a chance to be up there, and, I, and, and there's a place there, there are these cisterns that they use to hold water right there on the Temple Mount. They're about six to, six to eight feet deep and they have stairs cut out of them. They're called mitzvahs in the Hebrew. In the Jew. And this so before Christ, this is not a new, this, guys, the temple was an Old Testament thing. The temple was Jewish. right? So Jewish people, a baptism of repentance, just like John was baptizing people, the, the John the Baptist was, Jewish people would go in there to get baptized, and what they would do is they would walk down the steps, get dunked, and they'd walk back up the other side. And that was their, why go through all that? Why now, Peter, make these 3,000 souls go through that if the reality is they have received the real baptism already? Wow. Because if you're on the Temple Mount and you're surrounded by Jewish people and you just came to faith in Christ, the one they crucified, there is no better public proclamation than walking around wet. There is no hiding that. There's no going... When somebody says, wait a minute, did you just pray that? They go, no, that wasn't me. They're like, okay, well, let me wring out your cloak and I'll show you that it was you because you walked down in there, right? That's why we are pressing, one, there is, some, there's, there is more to baptism than we, want to under, than we can even understand, the actual act of getting baptized. But the other part is because it is like very few other things in our lives, it is the ability to publicly profess, I am a follower of Christ every one of those 3,000 souls, everybody knew it, because they were all sopping wet. Guys, Peter shares God's plan of salvation. He calls them to repent. People respond, and baptism happens. And we should not be surprised, because John the Baptist before Jesus even started his public ministry, said this in Matthew 3. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what we see happen right here in this scene. Guys, but repentance is not just stop sinning. We think of repentance as stop sinning. It's not even, we hear repentance, it's a military term, it means to turn around. That's almost true. Repentance is moving towards Christ. Biblical repentance is not just stop sinning, it's not just turn around and don't look at the sin anymore, it is actually pressing into Jesus Christ. That's what biblical repentance is. You cannot repent and not follow Christ. And I'm not sure that you can follow Christ without ongoing repentance. So what does repentance look like? When Peter says, repent and be baptized, what does it look like? Here's what it looks like. I see. Lord, for the first time in my life, I see. And one of the things I see, Lord, is that I am a sinner. And Lord... I see the grace of my Savior because no matter how many times I spit in his face, he says, I still love you. I see that in eternity past, you said, I want Doug in my family and I will do whatever it takes. So you sent your son. And I see the grace and forgiveness that comes from him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's repentance. And I do it in an ongoing way, even though I know my salvation is secure in Christ. Guys, over the 30 years of the book of Acts, the world gets turned upside down. Here's my question to us. Over the next year, two years, three years, by the time our 10th anniversary comes, Lord willing, 10 years. What can the Holy Spirit of the living God compel Cornerstone Church to do in this community? Guys, 120 people turned the world upside down. Can a couple hundred affect our neighborhoods? By the power of the Spirit. Look at your engage in the call. It's kind of along those lines. It says, The Word of God is proclaimed, and many are convicted and come to Christ. How? Not by the power of Peter, but by the power of the Spirit working through Peter. The ordinary monk Martin Luther was moved by the Spirit to save the gospel of grace from the clutches of the of works-based religion. George Whitfield preached a thousand outdoor sermons a year. He lived in the 1700s. Preached a thousand outdoor sermons a year to thousands of people without the aid of a microphone, and the great awakening happened. Guys, that is a supernatural thing. If you've ever read anything about... I was just reading something about him the other day, or yesterday. He, he, in, in his journal, he wrote, I preached to 10,000 people yesterday morning at 7 a.m. Well, first of all, for 10,000 people to come to church at 7 a.m. is a supernatural event. We can't even get you guys here at 9 or 9.30. Second of all, for him to preach a thousand sermons to thousands of people outdoors and never lose his voice? How is that possible? It is a supernatural thing that God enabled him to do. This is not just a a Bible thing and once the Bible, those kind of miracles stopped happening. No, the Great Awakening happened because the Holy Spirit empowered a man like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards to preach supernatural power. But guys, it doesn't have to be this big thing, like a big numbers thing. The faithful, spirit-filled mother or father stands strong as the world tries to lure our kids out of the church and boldly disciples a family to experience the living God for a lifetime. That is a supernatural act. The busy, spirit-sealed student, broken for the lost, lays aside their to-do list and instead asks a classmate, how can I pray for you right now? And the mission continues. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Power falls, we proclaim, people repent, and priorities change. Look what happens. And I'm way over time. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles and all those who believed we were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them as anyone might have need. Guys, here's four essentials to Christian gathering. It talks about the apostles' teaching. That is just, that's the word of God. I mean, it's, it's, what, it's what the rest of the New Testament is about, it's the Old Testament. It's, it is the God breathed scripture, it is our doctrine, it is what we believe. And then that leads to the next one Koinonia fellowship. That word fellowship there, the koinonia is just the one another, is the gathering together. So the word of God, so two things that happen right up front. The word of God is taught and fellowship happens. So what we believe, our doctrine, impacts how we behave. The mission. Fellowship. Then there's a second tier of things that I see listed there because it says the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And then it says the breaking of bread, that's communion, And prayer. It links those as well. Bible teaching and the unity of the of the body of Christ, communion and prayer. And and he is connecting those things as well. Baptism had already happened. So the, the church, the gathering is to be about the teaching of God's word, the fellowship of the one another's, communion and baptism, the baptism had already happened in this case, communion and baptism, and prayer. But guys, we, we don't want to look at this and go that this, this, is how, this is all we should have about church today. Guys, this is describing what they were doing. It's not telling us everything the church should be doing. It's telling us we should be doing at least this. But it's not just this. The church is more than just Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. How do I know? Because, well, it, the, the Bible doesn't stop at Acts chapter 2. All of the letters Paul wrote are about the church and what the church is to be about. It would be wrong for us to say, well, Jesus met in homes with, with, in Peter's house, and they're talking about here about meeting in homes, so the only thing churches should do is meet in homes. That is wholly taking Scripture out of context. Y- yes, we should meet in homes, but not just in homes. How do I know? We'll look at verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, so there's apparently time where they're meeting not in homes, and breaking bread from house to house in homes, and they're taking their meals together with gladness. There's hospitality. Guys, hospitality will become the new buzzword in Christianity, and that's a good thing because hospitality will supernaturally, what supernaturally changed the world wasn't Peter's three speeches. Yeah, 3,000 people got saved. There are very few places in Scripture where you see that. Day by day, they were doing these things, practicing hospitality, and look what happens. Verse 47, and they were having favor with all the people. People were in awe of what was going on. And then look what happens. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, the world didn't get turned upside down by Peter's big speech. 3,000 souls got saved, and that's huge. The world got turned upside down by Christians loving each other. That's how the world gets turned upside down. Christians loving each other and loving the world into becoming Christians. That's the message. Guys, there are two supernatural entities in the world, and I'm over time and I apologize, but there's there's two supernatural entities in the world. There's marriage between a man and a woman, he tells us that he tells us in Malachi, we, we we talked about this at our marriage conference that we had last summer, and Janine is already planning this coming summer. We don't have the date yet, end of July, 1st of August. I'm excited for what she's already got a vision for in that to be a part of that this summer. So so when you get the date, sign up. It was a great time for the 25 couples that were there last year. But one of the things we talked about is there's a supernatural part of marriage. It says that the it says that God joined them together and put his spirit between them. And there is a supernatural The other supernatural entity is the church. The church is is not an organization with a CEO, and I am not the CEO of of Cornerstone Church. We do not have a board of directors. We have an elder board. We have deacons. We have a leadership team. And it's because we are supernaturally together the body of Christ. But here's the problem. We're divorcing both of those entities for the same reason. We are divorcing our spouses because we're just tired of them. We're no longer getting anything out of it. They're rubbing us the wrong way, so I'm out of here. And we're doing the same thing in the church. People church hop and church like, like it's like it's nobody's business. Why? There can be good reasons. If your church isn't teaching the Bible, If you have friends that are in a non-Bible teaching church, get them to run. If they're not sharing the gospel because they've added to the gospel in a works-based religion, tell them to run. But guys, the truth is that those two supernatural entities, marriage and the church, are are designed by God for the same reason. To conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. The reason Carrie is his greatest tool to get the dug out of Doug and get me to be more like Christ is because biblically I can't leave her. And the church is supposed to be the same way. Yes, some of you annoy the snot out of me. Yes, I know I have to annoy the snot out of many of you. That's the beauty of the mess we're in. Seriously, that is the beauty of the body of Christ. That is what we talked about with this orange paper that again is on the connect table in the back, where where you've got these different spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. And as Ephesians 4 says, the Spirit knit not just gifts us individually, but then knits us together corporately. That's why the corporate gathering is so important. Guys, I heard it said this way. Now I'm going to wrap it up with this. I heard some. I, I, maybe I said this once before. I think I saw it on a tweet or something like that. It was somebody tweeting like they were Jesus, and they said this. Jesus would say this, don't tell me you love me and hate my bride. Don't tell me you love me and hate my bride. If you love me, you will love the church. And by church, that means us gathering together. Guys, you cannot fake supernatural love. I and them and you and me, that they might be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me, John 17. John 13, by this, the world will know that you are mine. By your awesome worship music. We have, I'm sorry guys, we have awesome worship music and I invite you to come up now. But by this, they will know. By your love for one another. So as we respond to the gospel now and and they're going to lead us in song and communion, I would ask you for two questions that are going to come up on the screen and they're on your handout as well. Do you allow room for the Holy Spirit? And what needs to change for us to experience the Holy Spirit's power in our church? So just take a minute and think about those questions and I'll close in prayer. And so Father, as we continue to Just let your spirit speak to us and respond to the message of your gospel. Lord, I do pray that you would tell us what you would have for us. What what do we need to get rid of or change to make room for your spirit? Because, Lord, we want your spirit's power in our lives individually and corporately. Lord, we want to turn our families, to turn our neighborhoods, to turn this community, to turn the world upside down, but we cannot do that apart from your Spirit's power. So we pray. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, that they would repent and believe in the gospel. And Lord, for those of us that do, I pray that we would let go and live in the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.